0: Yo, yo, yo. Welcome in, Big Sky Breakdown. You can always find the Big Sky Breakdown SkylineSportsMT.com. I'm Coulter Nuanas. Thanks so much to all of our awesome sponsors, including Blackfoot Communications, as well as Alpine Touch, the proud presenters of the Big Sky Breakdown. In terms of guests, short and sweet. In terms of content, a bunch of awesome conversation points here. It's been an incredibly busy week. For those that uh, didn't get the memo on the personal side of things, uh, Brooks nuanas my brother, business partner here at Skyline Sports, and uh, one of our awesome contributors here on the Big Sky Breakdown. He was in the process of moving, and uh, we both have day jobs outside of Skylines. He's been learning the ropes of his the ins and outs of his new job. And uh, so, all that said, no excuses. We don't make excuses around here. But uh, this segment of the Big Sky Breakdown is also what appeared on Nuana's Now. Usually we do separate radio hits and uh, podcast hits, but uh, today just, just one. Central conversation theme with both Ty Gregorak and Brooks is here on the Big Sky Breakdown. Of course, coming out of the rivalry game between Montana and Montana State, a 29-10 win for Montana over the Bobcats, and then into the FCS playoffs. Both teams off last week because of buys. Back at it this week. Montana plays Friday night, Eastern Washington. Montana State hosts Tennessee Martin on Saturday afternoon. We will be in attendance live in both of those games, so I look forward to that, and uh, hopefully – uh, long playoff runs ahead for both of these squads. Not for any rooting interest, just for the fact that we've had a hell of a fun football season. It's been really, really fun. And uh, we just want to keep covering these two teams because they're very fun to cover. They play very appealing brands of football. I know that both teams, maybe if you like offensive football, maybe aren't. at uh, least something to be desired, but they both play incredibly hard. They both have a really, really good toughness. I think they're both really together teams. And so uh, how do they each react from the result of that 120th rivalry game? Can Montana carry the momentum? Can Montana State brush themselves off, get off the ground, and get back to business? We'll see. We'll break all that down and more. Ty Gregorac, Brooks Nuñez, Coulter Nuñez, Big Sky breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Joined now by Ty Gregorak, one of our favorite contributors here. You can always find the Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. You can also hear blurbs from the Big Sky Breakdown. Each week on Iwana is Now, my daily radio show broadcast live on 102.9 ESPN Missoula, as well as SWX Montana Television. Coach Ty, thanks for being with us, man. I know you're on the road. It's a lot of highway miles for you all the time, but how you doing, my friend? Hope you had a good Thanksgiving.
1: Had a great Thanksgiving, culture, And yes, uh, even when even when uh, I have those off days, like Thanksgiving, I'm driving. I, I drove through Missoula to Coeur d'Alene in Spokane to see my, my family and uh, ate too much. And it was awesome, though. It's great great to see everybody. My grandparents are still alive. It's been almost 91 and 90 and got to see a bunch of aunts and uncles and cousins and, like I said, ate too much food. And now I'm back in the car driving the opposite direction towards Belly's. So,
0: Well, we're going to get into reactions from the rivalry game, because we haven't caught up since then. We're also going to get into reactions of the FCS playoffs, both the bracketing and the first round, and some of the upcoming matchups, specifically for Montana, who hosts Eastern Washington Friday night in Missoula, and Montana State, who hosts... Upstart Tennessee Martin. I always love when there's playoff crossovers like this, and I get to learn about schools that I had no idea about. That's always fun. We'll get into all that, but we'll start here today because I thought, very interesting. I was thinking about this this morning. Back in 2003, I think I was a junior in high school, and people in Missoula were highly anticipating seeing who the next Grizz head coach was going to be. Joe Glenn had won 39 games in three years. He led Montana to two national championship games and one national championship, and he had left that offseason to go to Wyoming. And the coaching search included some guys who are now big-time names, who uh, at the time not very well-known, but one of whom was a guy named Brian Kelly, who was at Grand Valley State. He ended up being a finalist for the job, but... As we know, Bobby Hauck took the job and went on to win seven consecutive Big Sky titles. 80-17, and one of the best runs uh, for anybody in the history of the league. But just crazy to think now because here we are almost 20 years later and yesterday Brian Kelly bolts from Notre Dame to go to LSU for $15 million a year and that in itself completed one of the craziest coaching carousel days or weekends, I guess, that I've ever seen when you combine the fact that Lincoln Riley also left. So uh, not only did USC and LSU fill coaching vacancies, but now they're is coaching vacancies at Oklahoma and Notre Dame. I can't even believe that this is a real thing. It's just so crazy with the way that this industry has gone.
1: Well, it is. What's crazy is the amount of money flying around. Two, two things for me. One, the amount of money these guys are, are, are making. And two, when is the last time you remember so many premier jobs opening up? I mean, you've got Notre Dame, USC, Oklahoma, LSU, Texas last year. I mean, these are these are. I mean, the the, the, the premier programs in college football. And hey, you know, and then and then there's the guys that are staying and parlaying. You know, their 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 successful seasons into more money. Between Mel Tucker, who a year and a half ago was making 2.5 million bucks for the colorado buffaloes and now he's got a 95 million dollar contract and and james franklin at penn state and i mean the, the 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 four coaches four or five coaches combined for almost a half a billion dollars in salary so you just sit there going holy smokes it's just it's crazy it's it's and it's not over i mean this is just the start of it culture this is just the start of it because the trickle-down effect shoot the nfl i mean we till we till Black Monday or whatever they call it in the NFL. It's it's just it's it's amazing. Uh, you know, obviously a guy like Brian Kelly. I mean, Notre Dame is Notre Dame. I mean, I think I don't know if it's Michigan or Notre Dame has got more wins in college football. It might be Michigan, but he obviously believes, and he's right, that he's got more of an opportunity to win a national championship at LSU, and he's right. I mean, Notre Dame. Is always right there. I mean, they're going to have another 11 in one season. They might make a playoff, and then they'll probably get blown out by Georgia or whoever it is. So, uh, I mean, I think his thinking is correct in that if he wants to to win it all, like he, like he did at the D2 level, he's he's got a better chance to do it in the SEC, especially a place like LSU. But it's crazy the moving and shaking. That I mean, honestly, it's been happening since week two of, of the of the season when they when they fired uh, Coach helmet at SE you know, and it's just, it's not, it's just beginning. That's the thing. It, it's not even close to ending. So it—it it, it is crazy. And then, I mean, even in the big sky, you've got a couple, you know, I talked to coach fantasy last week and and uh, was sad to Sad to see him go, but there's a whole staff, you know, in uh, Southern Utah. I know they're leaving the Big Sky, but there's a whole staff uh, of guys and, and wives and kids that are unemployed. So it, it's a crazy business. I mean, I, I always say it's the bre- it's the best profession, it's the best job a guy can have. It's probably the stupidest business there is. <laughs> I mean, the business side of it is whack. It's, 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 a, it's going to be another crazy month or two. And really what, what, what has sped all this up is that early signing day. And, uh, you know, they're trying to get coaches in place. I mean, I saw a deal. I mean, think about it. There could be two, there could be two teams that make the, the college football playoff without head coaches. You know, so it's, just, it's crazy, man. It's, a, it's, it's an interesting profession, to say the least.
0: Well, Mike Kramer came on uh, Cat Grizz Week, and Krams is one of my favorite coaches. He's uh, just a font of information, but he also has such interesting perspective on not just college football, but just the world at large. But he was saying, when you really think about it, just how fascinating the phenomenon of sport really is, and also the way that Americans specifically consume sport for such a tangible but also cut-and-dry definition of what equals success. And because college football has become such a money-hungry and uh, such a crazy economic engine that is so based on winning and losing, we often then lose so many of the other best parts about college football. It's why I stay in Montana. It's why I love covering the FCS level because even this level, even in Montana, Montana State, there are significant financial influences and financial ramifications. And uh, it is a, it's cutthroat at the FCS level as well in the Big Sky Conference. I mean, look at Coach Fennessy. He was doing a pretty good job there at Idaho State. They have an injury-riddled year, in like a 1 in 10 and they go 1-10, and he's out of a job even though he's only one year from the end of his contract. So it, it's across the board. But the thing that's so crazy is that we we base it only on winning and only on revenue production when it's at the highest level of college football. So therefore, the irony is, if, if you believe that college – Football and college sports is an extension of higher education. Then that that is untrue when you're talking about the highest level of college football. Because the fact of the matter is, LSU is a better job than Notre Dame for one reason. It's easier to get guys in there, and it's easier to win there without having the campus at large and the academic uh, the stringent nature of the academics hold you down. It's why schools like Notre Dame and Stanford, who probably actually do the balance of the quote unquote student athlete better than most schools, are never going to win a national championship. You have to make it all about football and that's where i have such a huge uh i'm so torn over it because on one hand it's a phenomenal thing to consume i mean the product itself is spectacular it's so exciting to watch and it's so entertaining but the auspices that this is somehow about higher education and not just about money i mean it just seems to me like the highest level of college football should just be rebranded it's just pro football for people under the age of 23
1: it it, it is it really is becoming that and you and i you and i talk I don't know, it was probably a year ago about, you know, the, the state of college football. Uh, and, you know, I think you, you mentioned that it was a mess and, and a lot of, and I, and I was saying, well, I mean, it, it's still great for so many reasons. I mean, look at, look at what, what these programs went through with COVID and et cetera. But I mean, the, the players are now with the name image likeness and you're seeing, I see, I see some of my old players popping up on the local Ford you know, proud, you know, proud to be a, a, a partner with XYZ dealership. And it's uh, the, the money that the coaches are making and the transfer portal. And it, it's it's becoming pro football. I mean, amateur athletics, as you and I know it, is, is slowly dying. I mean, it just is. I mean, the, the game of football is still wonderful. I mean, it, it is millions and millions and millions of spectators tune in, whether it's in person or on TV every weekend, and will always do so. But, you know, it's just money. It's all about the money. I mean we saw we saw it we saw it with Coach Cho this last year. I mean the guy's got he, he he built a program that I mean look at him now. I mean they, they won nine games in a row and they're they're a top eight seed in the playoffs and, and trying to make a playoff run. You know, his son's on the team and, and he leaves for five hundred thousand dollars to go be an assistant coach of Texas, you know, it's money. It is a money driven for, I mean, you, you saw the article a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it, over the last 10 years, there's like a half a billion dollars, $480 million in dead money out there that, that schools are just paying for coaches not to work. And that's that's crazy. And, and you know, going back to Tennessee and, and some of these guys, don't ever feel too bad for the head coach. Feel bad for the assistant because Coach Tennessee might, might might be getting paid for another year. I promise you Roger Cooper and Mike Farrier and those guys are not. In fact, I think their contract is probably up at the beginning of the new year. So, again, wonderful profession, dumb business.
0: No doubt. Well, let's get into some of the games that have such huge influence. Let's first first of all talk about the rivalry game because that's another thing. That's a direct extension of what we're talking about with the the direct evaluation between winning and losing. And uh, I think that that's been something that's been so interesting for me to analyze because on one hand, you can't understate the paramount importance of the Cacariz football game. On the other hand, I feel that both Montana and Montana State over the last 20 years have set themselves back as programs because of constant coaching changes so often that that stem from the results of this game and I know that there's only been you know a couple at Montana State uh, but I do think that you know and, and I think and I having covered Rob Ash for most of his nine years I do think there's also a timetable for coaches sometimes things get stale particularly if you're uh, not from that place I do think you can stay at a place that's your alma mater for a lot longer than than maybe guys that aren't coaching at their alma mater but here nor there the game is of utmost importance and justifiably so in some ways other ways I think maybe too much is put onto it. All that said, though, for the health of the rivalry, the health of the state of Montana, and just the discourse that exists around this rivalry, I do think it's important for the rivalry to have balance, and the rivalry has had balance over the last 18 years since the end of the streak uh, in 2002. It was 9-9 to going into Saturday, and in, uh, two Saturdays ago in Missoula, and now it's 10-9 to uh, since that time period because Montana snapped their four-game losing streak to Montana State, and the Grizz ride with a bunch of momentum into the playoffs, and uh, it was was a pretty dominating victory, Ty, so I know you watched it. What, what were your general takeaways from, from the game? Because it seemed like Montana just seized momentum early and then just carried momentum for the entire afternoon.
1: Well, Coulter, in 2018, which was my last season coaching ball, uh, we got to witness the miracle in Missoula. What happened two Saturdays ago was the debacle in Missoula because that was bad. I mean, good, good if you're a Grizz fan, uh, but between special teams and offense and a the lack thereof, for the Montana State Bobcats, it was a debacle. It was bad. I cannot believe you're going you're going you're gonna take a nine-game winning streak with your sole loss being a tight game against an FBS opponent in Wyoming, and then go sh- show up. Uh, in missoula, the way they did, not what you not the- kind, even if they lose the game, you at least want to go play your rival at a high level, and it just wasn't it it was bad and and listen montana montana's been waiting for that day i mean it's kind of it's kind of like what you saw Ohio State and Michigan on Saturday. Michigan was hungry for that win, and Coach Harbaugh and and Bobby Houck and the Grizz nation they were hungry to 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 put a beat down on montana state, and they did I thought it was i thought monta Mon, no, you got both defenses, who are the best defenses in the conference, two of the best defenses in the country. I think when you and I spoke a couple of weeks ago, we talked about you know which offense was going to show up and play better against against you know, against an outstanding defense, and obviously Montana's offense did that. And um, some, some big plays. It was a it was a, it was a fun game to watch. I just I couldn't believe how poorly MSU struggled, um, which it, you know it. In some ways, you can kind of go, well, let's evaluate the schedule. You know, I mean, so they, 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 they put up a good showing on the road in Laramie back in early September or whatever it was. But they're, they're, their schedule was really pretty bad. I mean, when I say bad, I mean, just not good. App- I would love to know. I would love to know going into that game what, what the overall record of, of MSU's opponents were. Um, because they just, you know, I, I, I've gone to almost every game here in Bozeman and you sit and you look at some of these teams like, good Lord. I mean, that I remember when that team was dang good, and now they're just bad. Like, I can't believe they're an FCS football team. So it was it was a beatdown of effort proportions. Uh, obviously, Montana had been waiting to do that for some time now. And you've got to like – uh, the momentum, like you said, leading into the playoffs got some guys healthy, some guys freshened up a bit, which you can see. I mean, listen, this is the same team that beat Washington. They're a good football team. They got hampered by, by, by the injury bug terribly. I mean, their, their, their running back core was depleted. That, what a great game by that, by that uh, young running back. I mean, what a, what a coming out party against the rival, but you get your your quarterback as, as healthy as It'll probably be for the remaining remainder of the season and that defense. I mean, you, you just can't talk about. Uh, you you know the history of the program better than me, but it's got to go down as one of the best defenses Montana's ever had, and and they played they played lights out on Saturday.
0: They're certainly one of the most aggressive defenses Montana's ever had, for sure. I want to come back to this game, but I want to go on a tangent just for a second. I know I, so, sometimes it's it's in my nature and in my training as a journalist to be sort of cynical, but I also get so, – sometimes I get stuck on these points and I've been covering the Big Sky for 16 years. I've been doing this now. I've been watching it intently ever since I was, you know, just a little nerdy 13 year old kid. But what I always say is, I think there's a misperception when people talk about the the quality of a league. There's always going to be a bunch of teams like within a, when a 12 team or a 13 team league like the Big Sky, you're always going to have some teams that win five, six, seven league games, and you're also going to have teams that win one, two, or three league games. But in my eyes, what I see, the teams that are toward the bottom half of this Big Sky conference now are significantly worse than they used to be. I'm not making that up in my head, right?
1: No, absolutely not. But buddy, it, it was only a few years ago that Southern Utah won the lead. All right? Exactly. Weber State, is, Weber State won it four times in a row, and I still think Jay Hill's one of the best coaches at the FCS level. Southern Utah, bye-bye. I don't know. I don't know why they were uh, honestly ever in the league, but uh, you know, it's Chow Poly's going through you know an adjustment with Coach Baldwin. He's a good coach. He's going to get that thing going again. But yeah, it, it was it, it, it was an interesting year to say the least. The, the Big Sky, as a whole, is a good conference. I think you and I would both agree when you when you talk about Montana, Montana State, Eastern Washington. Davis had a nice year. Sacramento State. I mean, those guys have done an unbelievable job down in sacramento i mean Sac- sacramento state always had the ponies they always had dudes but they could never put it together well now they've got a coach and a staff that put it together and, and just won just won their first outright big sky title but i you're, you're right the bottom half of the league is and, 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 I'll, and I'll say this culture what are those programs doing to help the football program get better because uh, you know, you look at you look at the the Champion Center and what they've done at, at at Montana State here with the new facility, and Davis have put in the new facility, and Weber State's got new facilities. Shoot, NAU's even building and doing stuff. So you got to support the team. And that, that's where, like to me, Northern Colorado, what have they done since they left Division Two, where they were a once-proud program? Nothing. They've really done nothing. I mean, the facilities are, are are lousy. It looks like a high school program. And so, you've got to invest. And, and that, It's kind of how our conversation started with these... Uh, with these coaches moving all over the place, you know, has has Notre Dame? And again, it's Notre Dame, but have they done everything? How do you let How do you let Brian Kelly, who's got a career winning percentage of like 750 or something, how do you let him leave? I mean, he, 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 did they do everything in their power? to make sure that Notre Dame football is, is is the best because everywhere else it's, it's new paint. It's, it's, it's the shiny, you know, they're building. I mean, it's 18, 18 to 22 year olds, man. They, they're not staying regional anymore. West coast kids aren't staying on the West coast. They're going to Ohio state and Alabama because they've got the best coaches. They've got the best facilities and they've got all the bells and whistles that these kids are looking for. And I just don't think that if you want to be a division one football program, you've got to invest in your program. I don't see some of these schools doing that. 100%
0: 100% true. There's also been uh, a decline in talent in the league. I don't know the why, but I do know that that, that is a, a thing. I mean, Northern again, there's always the stratification of a league. You're always going to have teams that are winning, teams that aren't, but it used to be a lot harder to beat Idaho State and Northern Arizona and Cal Poly than it is now. I think that uh, even Portland State, which which has been okay under Bruce Barnum, uh, used to be wicked tough to beat even, even when they weren't necessarily more than a 500 team just because of all the dudes that they'd have, and I think there's a direct correlation there. I mean, Northern Colorado is a great example. Northern Colorado had three consecutive quarterbacks that went to the NFL and now they got their shiny five star guy Dylan McCaffrey who can't even complete a pass more than four yards down the field so I don't know it's interesting but I don't want to take it all the way down that rabbit hole because it's uh, it's here and there because the fact is that it is a stratified league the bottom half of the league is nowhere near as good as it could have been or uh, used to be therefore though the top teams in the league are winning at a higher level and that's why we have five big sky conference teams into the playoffs for so the first time ever and uh, I think that's why we have three teams with seeds so uh, let's talk about the bracket montana with their win i thought they were going to get the four seed instead they get the six seed probably the controversy there would be villanova getting a seat uh, the fifth seed can't really put montana over sack because sack did beat montana and they went undefeated in league play although they didn't beat or excuse me they didn't play weber or eastern so they did have a couple holes on their resume. But uh, all things considered, though, I thought that the draws for the Big Sky teams across the board were fascinating because even though three teams got seeds, basically you have Sac State, congratulations, undefeated Big Sky champs, four seed. You got to play either your rival who you just beat in UC Davis or South Dakota State, who I think is one of, if not the best teams in the United States. You got the Grizz who get the sixth seed. Oh, they got to play the fourth ranked team in the country in Eastern Washington. And honestly, probably Montana State got the most favorable draw and they get to play Tennessee Martin on Sac Saturday but if and when they win that game they got to go on the road to Huntsville Texas to play the number one ranked team in the country so uh I thought it was credit to the big sky that they got three seeded teams and five teams in but it was also very clear that regionalization and also some other factors played into with the way the committee seeded this thing what do you think of the bracket
1: I think you're exactly right it's uh it's all going to play out the way it's supposed to play out I mean you you know now that now that we're in the second round I I air quote second round um he, you know, you're going to have to play. You're going to have to play the best, and I, I agree 100% with what you're saying. On well, well, let's start with Montana. So obviously, they are they already played, and Eastern won the game. It was a great game, and it was almost a deflating loss in, in for for Montana. In what we saw in the weeks after, and they lost some guys, and the Grids flat struggled. I mean, they, they lost what two out of four and struggled you know, basically for a month. But they get Eastern coming to Missoula, and that, that, that place will be electric. Days where, you know, that, that first round where everyone's playing, there was no, there no buy. There's no, there's no Thanksgiving excuses in terms of, you know, c- c- crowd and who's going to be there, is the students going to be there, or, or are they going to be home for Thanksgiving? The place will be electric, and you and I both know that it's tough to beat the same team twice in the same season a la Sam Houston State 2004, when we went down there, got our butt kicked, and then they got to come back up and, and with a lot riding, uh, and, and we looked we them pretty good. So I I, I, lo- I actually love the fact that, that Montana gets a chance to avenge that loss. But you're right, Montana State, that's a good draw. I mean, we, we, we've said it for years up here. When you can get a team from the South to come up to Montana in December, the odds are definitely in your favor. Now, I I know that you know that there's been losses in the past for both schools, two, two Southern schools, but uh, I think you you use the term upstart. They have no idea what what they're getting themselves into coming coming into Bobcat Stadium. It's going to be a sold-out game. Um, I think I think both draws for both Montana schools are good. I mean, yeah, I, I think Montana State definitely got the more favorable one in terms of opponent and and, and uh, the strength of the, the outfit. Um, Eastern's a good football team, but boy, I, I I love the fact that Montana gets to play them in Montana. And like I said, beating beating the same team twice in the same season is tough. So I, I love the odds uh, in, in Montana's favor. Should be should be an exciting weekend. And and, and you're right, <laughs> Sacramento State. Way to go. You get to, you get to host the, the wood trophy from the big sky, and then you get to go play. They probably are the best or, or one of you know, the top two or three teams in the country. I was talking to Andy Thompson, who's, who's a good friend and obviously former player and, and, and colleague, and he's like, dude, these guys, they, they look different. And it's so true. I mean, it's so true. West Coast ball compared to you know when you put on film and you watch TV of, of the best ones in the, in the Big Ten and the SEC, it doesn't look the same. And that's, that's kind of what he was alluding to when he was watching uh, South Dakota State when we spoke. They, they are, they're built differently in, in the Missouri.
0: No question about it. Well, before I get to another point about the Grizz, I just got a, a, an open-ended question for you. This is the 10th season I've covered Bobby Houck consistently, perhaps the most consistent part about the formula he employs is that his teams absolutely play their best football in November and December. He used to be able to point to NFL offensive lines and NFL running backs. That's not the case anymore, yet it's still the case with this year's Montana Grizz. Why? Why do Bobby Houck's teams play so well down the stretch?
1: It's Bobby's makeup. I mean, he he is a seasoned, widely old vet in regards to the postseason, more so than any other coach in the big sky. And I, I think he understands the the recipe and the formula for it's a long season. And, and, and I think he I just think he does a good job of, I mean, training camps are hard. Spring ball is hard. I mean he 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 is a drill sergeant in regards to the preparation in spring. Uh, pre pre fall and then early fall, but then as the season as the se- season continues to go, he really starts taking it off the guys and trying to. He's looking at the big picture, and and, and I think your what you said is exactly right. He he is one of the best at motivating his players, but also getting getting their 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 minds and bodies conditioned. To make those November and December runs, he, he, he's 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 a master at it, and he's been doing it a long time. And I mean, I hope I hope for the state of Montana that we get to continue seeing Bobby to do it because he, he's one of the best. I just you know knowing Bobby as long as I have, and getting to work for him, and shoot even play for him for a couple of years there at Colorado. Nothing would make me happier than, than to finally put put a ring on 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 an index finger that says number one and a whole bunch of and fake diamonds and whatever they do, us, <laughs> you know, so. so because I think he deserves it. I mean, he's the winningest coach in Montana history. He came back for all the right reasons. He has stayed for all the right reasons. And whether this is the year or not, wh- who knows? I mean, the, the, there there's some fantastic outfits that he's going to have to get through. But, you know, he, 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 we can't even have that conversation until he, he gets best, Coach best in the heat. So he, he's just he, he, he's an excellent football coach. In terms of the big picture, I guess is my point. Culture and seeing in, in big sky championships are awesome. You know, home games are awesome, but there is nothing sweeter than making playoff runs and, and hopefully getting to that to that last game.
0: And when it comes to Montana State's opponent, and I, I think that broadly, I actually think that the narrative. For both Montana and Montana State coming into this second round of the playoffs is the same. Uh, just a, just the dichotomy of the situation. In other words, the Grizz are coming off a huge win. Can they carry the momentum? Can they not let you know? Can they not be hung over from the the Cat game? And uh, can they get renewed and, and use it as a spark, use it as, as momentum? Can the Bobcats use it as motivation? Can they bounce back from it? Can they realize that it's not the end of their season? They still have a lot of them in front of them. They're still a seeded team in the playoffs. They still have an opportunity to make a run. But all that said, Montana State's got probably the best first round draw of almost anybody in the bracket. Definitely the best first round draw of any of the Big Sky teams in this bracket. And uh, when I watched Tennessee Martin, I was re-watching the game against Missouri State last night. It's so funny because you talk about Missouri Valley versus West Coast ball. It's sort of similar to when you see these teams from like the Ohio Valley and the SoCon. They have all sorts of great athletes. In fact, they have phenomenal speed. Some of the best speed that you're going to see at the FCS level. It's the size that's so striking. You know, they're playing all sorts of like 210 pounds. They're playing a bunch of Herbert games. Boas at, at linebacker. That, that's what they're doing. Playing a bunch of Tai Okadas. And uh, so I, I just think that that's where they fall short. Because, I mean, you, you saw it against Austin P a couple years ago. Uh, you guys played against uh, Incarnate Word, too. You know, they have a lot of good speed on the perimeter and all that stuff. But it, it's in the trenches. It's, it's, the, it's the guys up front that these teams can't really handle. So I would say that's the biggest advantage for the Bobcats on Saturday. What say you?
1: No question. It's, uh, I, I do love this matchup. I think Montana State has been built and primed for this you know but but they're gonna have to they're gonna go have to go play a lot better on offense um you know they're they're all good at this point and if the, if the offense shows up the way they showed up in missoula it's gonna be a long day for the cat
0: yeah i mean it is it's a huge concern because you know uh i i hate being too uh i, I hate implying too many things but when you listen to Brent Vegan and Taylor Housewright, the offensive coordinator, talk, and, and you see the the confidence or lack thereof that they have in Matt McKay, and you see the the lack of confidence that Matt McKay himself operates with on the field and in the press and and all this stuff. I, I don't know. I think that Montana State they their defense was playing so well down the stretch that they were able to sort of mask the fact that the quarterback situation was slowly and then all of a sudden rapidly declining and it seems like there's just a full loss in confidence in in what they want to do offensively. Part of that comes from the fact that the guy that you're used to giving the ball 25 times a game to the tune of about 150 yards Isaiah Fonse is banged up but also maybe he wouldn't be banged up if he didn't give him you know, 30-32 carries in some of these premier games and so you you know I think that if they could do it all over again they would have started mitigating this quarterback situation a long time ago maybe giving Tommy lot more reps maybe letting him throw a little more maybe even you know, putting something in the game plan for Tucker Rovig or maybe rotating those guys. I don't know, but it seems like now it's kind of back against the wall because Matt McKay has struggled mightily for the last five weeks, yet I don't really know how you go from him to a different guy at quarterback when it's lose and you go home.
1: No, you, you can't. It's, just, it, it's, it's fascinating to think how prolific Montana State was on offense and how average they've been on offense the last five years. You know, basically, since Dakota Pukup left and that crew left, now I say that I mean they, they've led the the Big Sky in rushing. You know, they've had a fantastic rushing attack. Troy Anderson's played every position on the football field, but I don't worry about the defense. It's just you know, and, and obviously they hired a, an offensive-minded coach in, in Coach Vegan, but I mean they're they're going to have to they're going to have to really evaluate. And, and develop the quarterback position to, to to if they want to get over the hump. So I mean, this was they finished second in the league this year, which is the best finish they've had in years now. But if they if they want to get over the hump, they, they got to get a quarterback. You know, and that is not that is not a a, a, true, a knock against uh, McKay, but you, you know you look at all the great at all levels, you got to have a guy behind the center. You just do. I mean, it, it, I, I know you you can win a lot of football games with great defense, and a lot of a lot of them do. But man, that trigger guy is important to a football team, and, and they just they're they're going to have to. I, I agree, because I think Tommy, I think Tommy adds a spark. But you know, he's also limited in regard. And he's young, but like you know, like I said, Coulter, they're they're going to have to they're going to have to show up offensively on Saturday if they want to keep uh, surviving and advancing, as as uh, some would say. So it'll be interesting to see. But I, again favorable matchup in my mind.
0: Well, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out for sure. Uh, Montana hosts Eastern Washington, Friday night, 7 p.m., Washington Grizzly Stadium. Uh, I assume it's going to be electric atmosphere. I'm also hearing that ticket sales are a little behind. I think they have 15,000 sold. We're recording this on a Tuesday, so still some time left, but uh, still a lot to be sold. Uh, they're projecting right now at the current rate, 21,000. I hope that there's more than that because it would be a pretty sweet atmosphere. Uh, Friday night under the lights, Washington Grizz, against a conference, uh familiar conference apart. I I can't call him a rival anymore because Bobby got really mad at me yesterday (laughs) at the press conference for saying Eastern's a rival, even though I still probably would contend it's probably Montana's second greatest rival. But regardless, uh, should be interesting Friday in Missoula. And then on Saturday, I think the Bobcats, if they can knock the dust off and and figure out a way to to get back up after getting punched in the mouth and and re-engage in their run game and all that sort of stuff, I think that they should make it through to the quarters and... You know, I know that the one thing with Montana State, you're always balancing expectation and current state of advantage versus history. I mean, at the end of the day, this is the sixth time in Montana State's program history that they've won nine games. This is uh, if they win a playoff game, I think that, you know, I mean, let's let's think about it just since I've been covering them in 2010. They won one playoff game in 2011 and they won two playoff games in 2012. And uh, then they won. Three under Jeff Choate. So they've only won five playoff games in the last 11 years and uh, only six in the 20th century. Only, I guess only six in the last 36 years. So playoff wins, even though Montana State right now is in a great spot, have been elusive for the Bobcats. So uh, sometimes it's all about perspective. But these two games, uh, they should be pretty good. But I mean, I imagine, you know, uh, last thing for you then, Ty. I mean, I imagine that this is, we'll be talking about quarterfinals matchups next week because I expect both these teams to, to win.
1: Yeah, so, so so what you were saying, Coulter, is exactly right. Uh, this is what you, you know, you, you play for three-plus months. You work your butt off for all year to get home playoff games. And I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I loved, I loved Nick Saban's rant last week. If, if both these fan bases don't sell out those joints, shame on them because they've got two top, highly-seeded teams. There is no Thanksgiving break excuse. Appreciate what you got. You know, every, every every keyboard warrior on Sundays that loves to do the good, the bad, and the ugly, and all this stupid nonsense, appreciate what you got. You got two playoff caliber teams that are hosting first, uh, second round games at home. Sell out, sell out the play. Sell out Washington Grizz, sell out uh, uh, Bobcat Stadium, and, and show you know show UT Martin and and, 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 and listen these places aren't Eastern Washington. You, you look at the you look at the attendance from last week. It was it was abysmal. It was terrible. But these two programs aren't those other programs. And if these two fan bases don't sell out, shame on them. Appreciate what you got. You got two great coaching staffs. You got two great teams. Show up on Saturday and support your team.
0: No doubt about it. He's Ty Rack, Big Sky Breakdown. Ty, drive safe, and uh, we'll catch up with you next week.
1: Sounds great, Colter. Have a good one. It'll be a fun, uh, lots of fun this weekend. We got, we got Power 5 championship games. We got the FCS playoffs. All is right in the world. Have a great one, my friend.
0: At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. A little dual purpose going on right now because our next guest here on both Nuanas now and the Big Sky Breakdown, Brooks Nuanas, got some stuff going on, just moved to town, so now officially a Missoulian again. I know that's a point of great joy for many people, and maybe some people are sad to see him gone from Bozeman, but either way, happy to have him here, both on ESPN Radio as well as the Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. And what's up, man? It's uh, It's been a busy month, including a bunch of awesome football games that we've gotten to cover, but how you doing? How you living?
2: I'm good, man. It's yeah, it's a busy life, a busy month, but that's how it goes. That's what I signed up for. <laughs> Uh, things are very good. Football has been awesome. Um, and now we, here we sit, December 1st, with a bunch of playoff football ahead of
0: us. And, you know, it's only 70 degrees outside, so uh, things are good. Unbelievable. 68 degrees what my car said here. We're recording this on a Wednesday. Uh, we got to tell you that we're pre-recording stuff these days. Uh, but, yeah, 68 degrees in the Garden City on a Wednesday. Pretty amazing. Um, I don't really even want to go into the why. <laughs> it's just a strange thing that's happening right now uh, in our little world here in western Montana here nor there uh, Brooks we've talked a lot about the rivalry game here both on nuanas now and on uh, the big Sky breakdown so far both leading up to it and then recapping it but just wanted to get uh, some of your general takeaways I mean what were the key factors in Montana's 29 to 10 victory for you and and what did you think of the result I mean was it some people I think were surprised some people were unsurprised where were you at this in terms of uh, how this lived up to what you maybe thought was going to happen?
2: Well, I think that there was a lot of factors that were surprising, but the overall, you know, win loss total, Grizz win, cats lose, not that surprising. I think it was really even game going into it. Um, I thought the fashion that it was, you know, played out in was a little bit surprising. I thought that the Montana State would have some success. I thought they'd have a touchdown drive. You know, that wasn't on the last two minutes. You know, I thought that they would probably score the, the football one time. Um, and maybe you know, one time we get a field goal, and the Grizz score once, and it's a low-scoring game. The Grizz offense really, really played a, an awesome game, and it was a great game plan. So you know, I think that that's what played into it a lot was that you know, kind of what we call those scripted plays. That first fifteen to twenty plays of the game for Montana Grizzlies went really, really well. Um, and we had talked about this extensively, Colter, between you and I. But the four-two-five defense that Montana State runs doesn't have a ton of weakness, but it does. It does. Have a couple flaws, and, and one of those is is the running back catching the ball out of the backfield, and and, and kind of how those how that looks for that that set of two linebackers can kind of get mixed up when you're dealing with slot players and tight ends like Montana uses. Who's the responsibility with that running back uh, coming out of the backfield, and that played out really. In the second play of the game, with Junior Burger scoring a really long touchdown that set the tone for the rest of the afternoon. Um, so, Montana looked really good. Uh, I thought they had a good game plan. And, like Coach Houck says, we practiced real well this week and, uh, you know, like to watch our guys play hard. Uh, so, everything everything played out really well for Montana, and not for Montana State. Montana State played poorly uh, on offense, on defense. Special teams was not, you know, electric by any means. So, Montana State did not have a very good day. Uh, but that rivalry at times, especially when the, when the momentum swings, that'll happen. Uh, that's definitely how it played out.
0: No question, and I think that's the key factor in the aftermath of this game, is just the reaction that both teams have to it, because they both still are playoff seeds, they're both still top eight teams in the United States, and uh, still both have playoff runs in front of them if they choose to make them, and if they have the ability to make them, but I think both teams do have the ability to at least advance uh, into the final eight at least. I mean, that's been the expectation, sort of the bare minimum baseline uh, moving forward, but before we get into some of the playoff scenarios and and, uh, that element of this, what did you think of the factors on the Montana State side of things that made them uh, maybe not live up to billing. I mean, there's obviously the tangible ones like Isaiah Fonse being banged up and TJ Session, the big right tackle, being out. But there was also some some systematic errors, maybe even some, some coaching flaws Uh, That took place as well. So I mean, where are we at with just the cats? Because they they were the best that they could be in the rivalry game four years in a row under Jeff Choate. And I just know that there's a lot of people that follow Montana State that are a little concerned, even though. And that's sort of the story of this rivalry, particularly on the Bobcat side of things. Is is the game is of the utmost, the the paramount most importance. And so uh, even a just a loss to the rival on the road in a hostile environment, for some at least, can overshadow what was already a a great season for Montana State, a nine-win season for the
2: Bobcats. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, or maybe it is fortunately does overshadow some of their season. Uh, Montana State's played really well this year. They've had some astounding wins where they've been, you know, rolling people, just absolutely just trucking people. They, they, they play, you know, pretty well, but not outstanding, and they, they're winning 42 to 10. I mean, they, they've they been crushing people at times. So, you know, in my opinion, it doesn't totally overshadow their season, though I do understand, you know, the weight of, uh, and the gravity of, of that game. So Montana State, I, I do think, Colton, those two injuries specifically, uh, with Isaiah Fonse and TJ Sessions being out. Oh, Infonce looked banged up. I mean, you can say what you want about it. You know, I've mentioned it several times on, on this show about how Isaiah Infonce is one of the best players in the country. Uh, I've seen him play 25, 30 football games in his college career. And he's a darn good player, and this year he was a top five running back yardage-wise in the country, and he was by far the best player in Montana State's offense um, in many different facets. So I think it was clear that he looked pretty banged up. When you, when you reference the coaching, um, you know, the, the – both offensive coordinators for Montana, Montana State and Freddie Banks on defense and Taylor House right on offense have never coached this game and the same with Brent Vegan at head coach. And I do think it really plays a huge role was Jeff showed able to come in and and ride the lightning? Yeah. I mean, he got that, that first win and, and some momentum build, and all of a sudden they were playing with a lot of house money there by year three and year four. And his coaching staff, I do think, probably didn't prepare exactly for the amount of pressure they were going to see from the Montana Christian defense, and that definitely played a huge factor into to the results of the game. And, and it, you know, it, it's more of an oversight than I think it is an error. I don't think that sure. necessary in-game the play calling was really off. Um, I think it was more of what they thought they were going to get. They got none of that. Uh, so it was a little bit more of a preparation issue, in my opinion, at least from the sidelines when I was watching.
0: Brooks Nuanez here on Nuanas Now, as well as the Big Sky Breakdown, joining us on the Rangers Brothers RV phone line if you're listening on ESPN Radio. And, uh, you know, I think that that's the dichotomy of the situation, right, is that Jeff Choate knew a lot about the rivalry before he took the job at Montana State. He also knew his golden ticket to be almost invincible within his tenure at Montana State was to win the rivalry game as often as possible, and then he was able to go undefeated in it. Uh, Only Bobcat coach to do that, period. And that gives him a certain esteem amongst the fan base and amongst the followers and the supporters and all that. Uh, but, I mean, I guess there was maybe a, a too high of a priority put on it. It's hard to say that because they made the Final Four in 2019. But it's just a fascinating dynamic that's going to li- linger forever be- because it is, there is so much passion behind it, but there's also much, so much irrationality behind it as well. But uh, certainly just for the, the balance of the rivalry, the health of the rivalry, I, I think that long streaks, streaks of longer than two, three, four games is, is not necessarily great. I think it builds up a lot of vitriol and a lot of negativity. On one side or the other, and also maybe skews the priority on one side or the other. So uh, I don't know. It's it's just an interesting factor to see the way that this thing has all played out. But now here we are with the playoffs on the horizon. So to me, can the Grizz use this as a launching point to make a run? Can the Bobcats erase it, use it as motivation, and re-spark themselves for the season? It seems like it's a similar storyline, just with the opposite side of the coin on each side. So not necessarily what do you predict, but. How important is it for uh, the each of the teams to use the result in ways that can benefit them uh, moving forward now with the playoffs uh, beginning in Montana, both on Friday night with uh, Montana hosting Eastern Washington and, and Saturday with Montana State hosting Tennessee Martin?
2: Well, I, you know, I think a momentum is really hard to carry for more than, you know, a couple days. Uh, So the fact that they both got buys is probably good for one team and maybe bad for the other. Um, And that all could be a wash, you know. Maybe none of that's true, but I do think that Montana State probably benefits from getting a buy there. Uh, sometimes when you lose, you want to come out and, and uh, you know, get the bad taste out of your mouth as fast as possible and go back out and play again. And I think a lot of that's a little bit earlier in the season. I think at this point in the season with some of the injuries and, and uh, you know, the, the general wear that they have on their bodies at this point, I think it's probably positive for Montana State to get a bye there. And for Montana, you know, I think you beat the heck out of the cats and you probably want to stare down Eastern on a Friday night, the very next week. That sounds pretty awesome, but that's not the case. That's not how it played out. Uh, so, you know, Montana probably is just as banged up as anybody. That's uh, kind of the nature of the beast at this time of year. So that buy probably helps them. I don't know how much momentum necessarily carries through a 13, 14-day uh, practice schedule with, you know, no actual act live action. Both of them, again, it could be even money on, on both sides. But I do think the buy probably it generally benefits both teams. And, and gosh, you know, I mean. Montana will truly have no issue getting up, uh, you know, for a Friday night game against what is a rival in the Big Sky Conference in Eastern Washington. Um, I don't think that will be an issue for the Montana Grizzlies. And, and for the Bobcats, you know, I mean, it's a, it's it's not a familiar opponent, which at times in the FCS we've seen – that be challenging, but usually it's not challenging for the team at home. Usually, a team from across the country who has never traveled to a place like Montana State in Bozeman, Montana, uh, ends up getting a little bit more than they than they, uh, than they wanted in those kind of settings. So, I think that's kind of how it will play out this weekend. I know to, uh, UT Martin is a very talented team, um, clearly with a, with a big playoff win against Missouri State, but you know I think Montana Montana State do have a little bit of. of general momentum with the seasons they put together and coming off the bye weekend these matchups.
0: Well, we'll start with the first of the two because it happens Friday night, 7 p.m. in Missoula at number four Eastern Washington versus number five Montana. Pretty funny because when these two teams played earlier in the year, it was four versus six, and that was the highest cumulative ranking that the two teams had had ever in their long history playing each other. So now that's up one notch, even though both teams have lost a couple times since then, including when Eastern Washington beat Montana 34-28 back in Cheney on October 3rd. Bobby Houck though, even though the rematches in the playoffs are very rare, Bobby Houck has been a part of these many times. Uh, He's had five different times when he's played a team in the regular season and then again in the postseason. The opposite of what happened in the regular season has happened to each of those five previous matchups. 2004, Montana lost to Sam Houston State on the road, beat them at home in the playoffs. 2008, lost to Weber State at home, beat them in the playoffs. Uh, 2005, beat Cal Poly, a number three ranked in the country Cal Poly team. This is before they joined the Big Sky Conference, but then lost to the Mustangs at home in the playoffs. And then in 2019. Montana uh, beat Weaver State and then a couple weeks later lost in Ogden to the Wildcats. So rematches have been so rare for Big Sky Conference teams. Eastern's only ever had one. It was against Montana in 2014. That was when Houck was not there. Montana State's only ever had one. That was back in 1976. Uh, Sac State's never had any because Sac State's only ever played one playoff game. Uh, but what do you think of that dynamic, Brooks? Just the fact that this is the second time these teams have played and it, it just seems as if It's a pretty linear result. The team that won in the regular season has a hard time taking care of business in the postseason.
2: Well, I think that, you know, the stat department needs a serious raise. That's why they pay you the big bucks, Coco. That's a lot of dates and a lot of research there. (laughs) Uh, That's pretty good stuff. Um, Well, five for five, right? I mean, that was looking pretty good for the Grizzlies, but... You know, I I don't know how much it matters. I think the familiarity uh, is really, it is important when you're playing like opponents. It is is something you can lean on. It is something that you're going to go out and, there's going to be some matchups in these games where these players are quite familiar with one another I think mean, that that's uh, it, it makes for great football it, if there's chemistry that can be had between two top opposing teams I think that that is how you make it happen uh, you know I remember that 2008 we were uh, state regular season and playoff game and those were those were lights out games I mean those were smash mouth I mean the Grizz stalled for the playoffs but those were smash mouth real deal big boy football I think that's what we're, we're going to see again you know um, I think the Grizz have uh, a pretty bad taste in their mouth after you know beating a, a a team like Washington to start the season, and then you know, really being on a on a really nice run and running into Eastern and, and losing on a last second you know hail mary attempt with with, with Chris Brown in their quarterback. And you know, I think that that Montana gave Eastern everything that they can handle that 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 night there in Cheney, and I think they're very excited to play them again um, from my perspective. So I think. The rematch thing is, is definitely, I think it's cool. You know, I think it's awesome. I think it's something that uh, we could see in the SEC, in the college football playoff, where you see a team play, you know, once in the regular season and maybe play again in the playoff. And, and stuff like that, to me, is really intriguing. It makes for really competitive football, um, which is, you know, what we all hope for and sign up for. I don't see it really being impossible to be a, a major blowout, but you never know because in the FCS at this level, uh, things can can. can going to an absolute tailspin quickly. But Eastern is a darn good team, so Montana will surely have their hands full again A Friday night at home. I mean, gosh, you got to expect they're going to quite the crowd.
0: Montana, especially on defense, the style that they play, isn't necessarily one where it's a huge chess match or a ton of adjustments, pregame or in-game, are even made. They kind of do what they do, send the house, bring the heat, hit you in the face, and hope for the best. That said, is is... Just running it back is that good enough for Montana if they want to take down this Eastern Washington offense?
2: Well, I don't think it is. You know, I think that a team like Montana State, we talked earlier, Colter, about um, how you know what was the maybe the coaching error. I think the coaching error is to think that Montanans could do something different on defense. Right. It's um, exactly. You know, right. I don't. I, I don't think that they are going to do anything different. I don't even know enough? if they
0: can. Is the thing
2: right? And I got a term for you. You know what? what, what the what the offensive minds of the NFL call what the Grizz run. It, they call it casino. They call it full go cards on the table. Right. Uh, you're, you're not hiding anything. So the casino defense is is uh, it's it's lit, man. I mean, they get after it and. I, I don't know why they would get away from it. You know, I, I think that their best chance to win is to is to play into their identity and their identity has been clearly defined. It's not a schematic thing, you know. I mean they, they bring beautiful pressure pressure. Kit bear. I mean if you like football and you like drawing it up and you like guys hitting the hole right, I mean gosh, they it is plenty detailed and plenty of schematics, but it has so much to do with mentality. Um, you yeah, know, you're, you're hitting that you're hitting that A gap, you're hitting that you know, whatever whatever your blitz responsibility is, you're well aware of it before that you've got to get You got to get to the point. Um, so that kind of defense I, I, When it becomes the identity of your entire football team I don't see why you don't want to get away from it I do think that the way that they play That third safety Which oftentimes is Garrett Graves or Nash Vouch yeah. Really, you know, Robbie Howe Doesn't really play in the nickel very much But that kind of hybrid nickel spot that Plays a little deeper than a traditional nickel But is still kind of in that safety position It's almost like a rover Which I don't really like that term Unless it really is specific to a style of defense But that player needs to be a, a, a different style of Of leverage, they need to be able to run or, or disrupt the seam a little bit differently. Because on the outside, those corners are playing really well for Montana, and that's where they took some shots against Eastern. What, what was kind of you know a, a, a deep route that goes up the sideline, it cuts back to the middle. You know, more of a deep post action. Yeah. Um, so that that safety that's playing that nickel spot needs to figure out a, you know how to carry that seam a little bit better, how to disrupt that a little bit better. and That starts a lot with that front get home too. So I don't think they do a whole lot different. Maybe you know I, I don't think you would hurt to have that strong or that free safety take two steps back you know um stuff like that could be small adjustments but i think for the for the tv angle what we'll all see is fans and and, and spectators will be mostly a look a lot the same
0: you want now espn radio big sad breakdown Brooks Nuana is joining us. I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm belying how complicated Montana's defense is because it's, in fact, very exotic. They have uh, as many different types of pressures. I'm just saying the identity is not going to change. But I think the number one thing that's going to change for the Montana defense in this game is just the players, the personnel. You start up front. Joe Badros is going to play in this game. He wasn't available the first game. He's a more athletic guy on the edge that can do some of that zone dropping. It's not necessarily even the pass rush he's going to give you on the edge spot, although that he is good at that as well. But it's more just like the athleticism he can get, taking Dennis Merritt away on the swing pass out of the backfield, or at least a little bit more effectively, things like that. But then you also look at, in the secondary, Gavin Robertson was unavailable. And Robertson is a fine cover guy, but he's a great box safety. But his presence then lets you play Garrett Graves and Nash Vouch a little bit more in coverage, and that's an advantage for Montana as well. And then the final thing worth mentioning is that Justin Ford got a ton of credit and a ton of accolades, and deservedly so, with his eight interceptions, first-team All-League, newcomer of the year the Big Sky, all that. But then, if you were listening on Tuesday, we had Corbin Walker on the show, sophomore corner, and he's the guy that went from kind of the third, fourth corner to now the guy who's been the lockdown guy on the other side. And he hasn't, he doesn't have any statistical production because he's been shut down. He's been shut down that side of the field. And Bobby Hauk has said it. I mean, Corbin Walker has 14 tackles this year. And he has, I think, three pass breakups because people don't throw at him. (laughs) And so it seems ironic, right? But Bobby Houck has made the comment multiple times that the ball was kind of finding Justin Ford. Make no mistake, he's a ball hawk for sure. He's made some great plays. He also had a couple interceptions fall into his hands. But the point is that opposing quarterbacks are throwing at that side more than they're throwing on the other side because Corey Walker's been so good. And that's been an emergence since the Eastern Washington game. Walker played a lot in that Eastern game, but he's really become the go-to guy on that other side, so I do think just the personnel upgrades are going to be probably the biggest addition for Montana uh, defensively. But to me, the whole key to this game comes down on the other side of the ball, and it has to do with can Montana's offense find any semblance of flow because they've had times when they've been not great so far this year and uh, very inconsistent, lack of creativity, pretty predictable. And Eastern's defense, although they have this reputation as not being very good, they have good personnel. I think Joshua Jerome, the big D tackle on the inside, is a very good player. I think that Jack Sennelbach and Kalen Kreiner and I mean they, and Mitch Johnson, they have several guys that are all-league caliber type guys, and those guys all did land on the all-league team. So when you're talking about matchups versus matchups, I actually think that Eastern Washington's defense is not that overwhelmed by Montana's offense, only because Montana's offense has been so mediocre this year. So what do you think of that element of this matchup?
2: Yeah, I mean, they, they, they found their stride against Montana State, but it could also be an anomaly. I mean, they've struggled to run the football, and offense has not been as outstanding by any means. I mean, they've had several games they've scored in the 30s where they've scored one offensive touchdown. I think it's a concern. I mean, I thought they got it really dialed up. I, I loved what they ran. Like I mentioned, those first twenty scripted plays against Montana State or so. I thought I thought that was some really good stuff. They dialed it up and uh, you know, they had they had an idea of what they wanted to do and, and that that's really important. I think when they get a little bit off script is is where they really struggled, right? I mean, when they get to third and seven and or third and long in general and, and they don't you know, first and second down isn't a lot of success, not a high success rate. They they're they're really struggling in those positions. They're are not having a bunch of guys step up and make big-time plays. Uh, and a lot of that is just due to the fact that they can't find a rhythm. You know, if you go three and out here and there two, three times in the first five possessions of a game, it's really hard to find a semblance of rhythm. I think that's something that they've struggled with throughout the entire season. So I think that they got a little bit back on track against Montana State, realizing that, you know, hey, maybe we should throw it to the running back. Uh, on first and second down a little bit instead of just trying to hand it off between the tackles because that has not been all that successful. But you also got to think, you know, throughout the this, this season, especially with young players, especially with freshmen, guys get better, you know I think we talk a lot about the attrition of, and of injury and just generally how wearing and tiring football is. We don't talk a ton about how on a Tuesday in week 14, you can get coached up and you can get better, you know? I mean, it's a real, real aspect of football that I think is is definitely overlooked, especially with young players in college. A guy like Junior Bergen, you know, he could have a game where he watches the film and the light, and the light turns on. You know, it clicks. Sure. And that's a huge. That's a huge thing. And I think that that started to happen with some guys. And it's always going to fall back. And you know, it's not it's not the shiny rock syndrome that I always talk about. It's not that I really truly think that every time the quarterback steps on the field, he's the most important guy. He's a trigger guy for the offense. But for Montana, the leadership and the ability for Cam Humphrey to play at a high level is really important to their offense. He's a great leader. He has the skill set to really be a good player. In the FCS and take a team pretty far. I've mentioned it. I think he has the ability to take a team to... A national championship at least to, 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 to compete for one but when he's off and he's not playing well that hurts his leadership influence and it also hurts their team in general not that they're a completely quarterback driven team at all but with a little bit of the rack lack of the run game they need some inspiration and a little bit of spark from that position and being the quarterback position so i do think that it's an important aspect we could talk to am blue in the face there, about forcing targets to samia ken about targeting the tight end more which i clearly they started to do with cole grossman starting to have kind of a breakout second half of the season. But those things are here nor there. If the quarterback's not playing well, is not playing confident, uh, I think that's probably where it all starts there. But the improvement of young guys like Junior Bergen could be a real, you know, a, a, a real game changer for this Montana offense.
0: Nuwana's now Big Sky Breakdown. Brooks is joining us. A couple more things for you, Brooks, before we get you out of here. On the other side, Montana State's got a home game. That's become sort of status quo. That's what these guys are used to, this group of guys that play for the Bobcats. They had a home game in 2018, two more in 2019. Now they got Tennessee Martin coming to town. Second ever playoff appearance for the Skyhawks. They got their first playoff win last week, 32-31, at Missouri State. Big upset, no matter who you're talking to. And uh, the first playoff win in program history for the Skyhawks. They got a veteran roster. They got some SEC transfers on there. Uh, They got a guy from Alabama who was formerly one of the top five recruits in the country uh, before having discipline issues with both the Crimson Tide and Houston. Um, But... Also a team from the Ohio Valley. We've seen the Ohio Valley uh, over the years in the playoffs. A league that seems to be defined by great athletes, guys that can really run. Uh, a lot of raw-boned and just raw in general prospects. Uh, but usually not the size, especially on the, in the trenches, that you see from the teams in the big sky in the Missouri Valley. Especially the Montana schools, the Dakota schools. Uh, but Montana State, and they're two-touchdown favorite in this thing, and I think that this group is a group that if they can just recapture the belief in themselves, which I believe that they they never lost. I think that they just got punched in the mouth in Missoula. It's a veteran group, a really talented group, and I, I do think, actually, all things considered, when the FCS playoff bracket all played out, they actually got the best draw at anybody because even though they are on the same side as the number one seed Sam Houston, uh, I do I don't think Sam Houston's quite as good as maybe north dakota state or james madison or even um south dakota state who's unseated i I just think that there's some tougher teams than sam houston in the bracket maybe they're seated a little bit lower maybe not even seated at all so uh the bobcats in this draw i mean what do you think of this it seems actually to me if they can bury the hatchet from what happened in missoula it's a golden opportunity and they have a chance to make a run
2: Absolutely, man. But like you mentioned, I mean, UT Martin is uh, the big win against Missouri State. I, I didn't really think that the Missouri State against Montana State was a great draw for the Cats. I mean, nope. you got all Coach Petrino down there. And uh, by all accounts, he's the best of the bunch, which I, I don't know what that means. You know how. Uh, <laughs> How I felt about some of that lineage, but it's uh, UT Martin is also a, a school that clearly is going to have some momentum. Now, you get uh, your first playoff win in school history, and you get to travel to an unknown and play with a little bit of confidence. I mean, that's a huge deal. You know, that's something to not be to not overlook. Uh, this team is probably going to come in with their head, off, their hair on fire. And we'll see what that looks like for the Bobcats. But I mean, I, I agree, Colton that the Bobcats got seeded correctly. Um, I did think they deserved a seed. They were really close to going into Cat Grizz undefeated. You know, I, I, I thought that they outplayed Wyoming the first game of the season and lost it there on a, a couple different reasons. But a, a really, you know, a kind of phantom block in the back call and a punt return for a touchdown. I mean, I thought, you know, that, that gave the Cats a little confidence, but I think they were also let down by not winning that game. I thought that was a game they, they, they probably should have won. And then that puts you on a whole different trajectory of when you're going to Cat Grizz and you're 9-0, not, not an 10-0. Um, you know, it's a whole different thing there. So... Two losses on the season, nine wins. I mean, it's a really good season for the Cats. I think they're seated correctly. I think that the home field is definitely important for them. You know, uh, Bobcat Stadium, it, it gets loud in there. And it, it's a it's a great place to play. But I've been to almost every single one of these playoff games the last five or six years. And, and they usually draw a little bit of a smaller crowd. You know, it's usually 14, 15, 16,000. Uh, they don't clip that 21,000, 20,000 that they, they kind of call a sellout. So, you know, that that's a touch different for the Montana State Bobcats, especially if there's a little weather involved, which there might be. Home field is definitely a thing in, in the state of Montana, and I think it will play that way for the Bobcats as well.
0: Best in the biz, Brooks Nuanas breaking down the Big Sky on the Big Sky Breakdown. You're also listening to this on Nuanas Now ESPN Radio. Excited for a fun week of football, man. Thanks for making some time for us today. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, playoff football Friday, Saturday, doubleheader, take me to both. Let's go. I'm, I'm ready, man. Look forward to it.